Okay, so let's dive in. We've been studying First Peter, and so I'm just going to read um, the beginning of First Peter, starting in verse 1, and then all the way through our passage today, which is verses 10 through 12, and we'll just kind of review as we read. So, okay, so First Peter 1, 1. So 1 Peter 1, 1 starts off as Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. So we said that he starts off by addressing these people who are probably mainly Gentile believers that are living in a Gentile area, and he calls them elect exiles. That they're, on the one hand, they're exiles, they're strangers in a strange place where people don't necessarily get them, where some of the things that they do and say and believe seem kind of weird, uh, even kind of bad in some people's minds. Um, but at the same time, they're also, they're, they're elect, they're chosen, they're adopted, they're loved by their, by their father. And then verse 3, he starts to praise Jesus. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. So he's given us new life, and he's also given us hope. And he says he's given us a, a living hope. And in the next couple of verses, he goes on to tell us about that hope. What is that hope um, based on? Um, and, and we've talked before about hope, and hope is, in our life group a couple weeks ago, we are talking about hope is the expectation of something good that's going to come. And we hope in all different types of things. We hope that schools will open. We hope there'll be a corona vaccine. We hope um, lots of different things. But he's going to tell us, and those are all good things to hope in, but he's going to tell us what, what is our unique hope that we have because of, of Christ Jesus. So we have this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then in verse 4, um, so we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, in verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So he's saying that the hope that we have, that we've been given in Jesus, is our salvation. And it's it can... It's, it's interesting and it's really cool that in, in the Bible, I think Matt talked about this a few weeks ago, that sometimes in the Bible, uh, we'll, we'll see the Bible say, you have been saved, like in the past tense. And sometimes the Bible says, you are being saved. And other times, like in this passage here, it talks about that we're waiting on our salvation. So sometimes it says we have been saved, sometimes we are being saved, and sometimes one day we will be saved. And what this means is that, so in the past tense, Jesus has already, he, he's, when he died on the cross for us, he's forgiven us for all of our sins, and so we've been saved from the penalty of our sins. That we no longer have to live in fear um, because we're afraid we're going to be punished one day, because Jesus was punished for us. That's what it means that we have been saved. And at the same time, we're also, we are being saved in the present tense. And that's that the Holy Spirit 
the Holy Spirit, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to live inside of us to give us the power to say no to our sin, to say no to our selfishness, to say no to our greediness, to say no to our lust, to say no to our laziness, to our gluttony, whatever, and say yes to, to Jesus and, and, to, and to obey him and to live righteous, holy lives. So we've been saved. Um, we have been saved. We are being saved. And one day we will be saved when Jesus comes back and he's going to defeat. Not only will we be Christ-like, not only will we be holy, not only will we be able to be self-controlled and obey God instead of, instead of our sin, there won't even be any more temptation because Jesus will have defeated all of his enemies um, and he'll reign forever in his kingdom with his people. So we'll, one day we will be saved in the sense that we'll be able to live forever with Jesus and with our other brothers and sisters in Christ without any of the stuff that makes life hard right now. Just like that passage that Steve was reading a second ago, um, in a beautiful place um, with, with, with a beautiful house where there's no, there's no threat, there's no danger, there's no temptation, there's no evil. We can just enjoy life together. We can enjoy all the good things that we enjoy about life today times a million forever with none of the things that make us sad that that really that that are so hard that are the result of of sin and then peter goes on so he says that you're waiting on the salvation that's going to be revealed and then he says so we're, we're we're by god's power we're being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time and then he says in this you rejoice now, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him now, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and you rejoice with the joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So what's, what's Peter saying there? He's saying that the, the, the hope that we have in the salvation that we are being given and the salvation that we one day will be given is so great that nothing can take it away. That whether it's, um, that, that cancer can't take it away, the coronavirus can't take it away, that a terrible, a sleepless night because you've got little kids like I do, um, can't can't take it away. The, and so for these people that Peter's writing to, they're undergoing a lot of persecution. And it says that they're grieved, so they're sad, but at the same time they have this inexpressible and glorious joy. And so the, the hope that we have in our salvation is so strong and it's so great that nothing can take it away. And even when we're sad, even in our worst moments, um, if we continue to hope in our salvation in Christ, we can still have joy and we can still have abundant joy. And so, um, in verse 10, Peter goes on, and he's, he's still talking about the salvation. Salvation is, is our hope. Um, it's the hope in our salvation that gives us this joy. And then verse 10, he says, well, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was, indicated, was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you 
through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And so basically what Peter's doing in these verses um, is he's saying, you know, this is the, the story of, of salvation. And for, for each of us, we, we, those of us that are, that are saved and are being saved and one day will be saved, uh, we all have our own story about how we met Jesus. Um, you know, maybe your story started when, for, for me, my story with, with Jesus started when I was a little kid and my, my parents shared the gospel with me. Um, you know, for, for some people, maybe your story started, um, maybe your story started in college when you had a roommate or you had a friend who, who told you about Jesus. So, so each of us, we, we think a lot about our story of how we met Jesus, how we're growing, all that type of stuff. But what Peter's telling us now is he's saying that, okay, each of us kind of entered this story at a different point. But the story of salvation, the story of Jesus saving the world, is much, it's much, much bigger than any of us. And so in the next few verses, what he does in 10 through 12 is he, he kind of zooms out and he reminds us um, of, of the, the whole story that has been going on for thousands of years that's been told by the prophets and, and that the Holy Spirit has been telling through the prophets by inspiring those prophets to, to predict um, the Messiah, to predict Jesus. So, so let's kind of, let's, let's think about this story for, for a minute. I'm just gonna go through a few places before Jesus actually was, was born on the earth where the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, was, was saying one day somebody's gonna come and that person ended up being Jesus. So, so the story of, of redemption, it starts, you know, a, a long, long time ago at the beginning of, of creation. So God creates the world. He creates a beautiful, wonderful, um, enjoyable world full of, of life, full of wonderful food, um, with no fear, with no shame, with no guilt. And he puts a uh, man and woman in charge of it. And then the, the, there's a snake that comes along. A snake comes along, and he, he starts saying to, to Adam and Eve, to the man and the woman, he, he starts trying to trick them. And he starts telling them that, uh, that they know better than God. And he's saying, guys, you don't need to, you know, you, you don't need to trust God to be happy. You, you should just do whatever you want to do. And the, the people are, are, are tricked. Adam and Eve, they're deceived by, by, by the snake. And they believe the snake, and they disobey God. And from that point sin enters into the world and evil enters into the world and, and pain enters into the world and, and disease and, and shame and conflict and all this stuff enters in, into the world. And the, the story of, so that's how the, the, the story of, of humanity starts. And, but then the story of, of salvation starts right after this when God says to, um, to Adam and Eve, he says that, okay, you, you guys were, were, tricked by this snake um, who deceived you into rebelling against me and disobeying me, one day there's going to be a man who's going to come and he's going to crush the snake's head. He's going to defeat God's enemies. He's going to be a champion. You know, the, the snake is the one that deceived you, that led to all this, this stuff. The, the snake one day is going, or the, the, there's going to be a man one day who's going to be a, a, a champion who's going to defeat the snake. And he's going to be our champion. And, and so from that point on, every generation of people w was waiting, okay, who is it going to be? And when is he going to come 
the, the, the person, the man, who's going to come and defeat God's enemies and save, save God's people. And so fast forward uh, a few thousand years after that, or a long time after that, and, um, and we, have, we have King David. And so King David, he had a lot of faults, and we all know about his, his adultery, how he committed murder, and how he, you know, he wasn't a perfect person. But one thing about King David that was, was special and that God loved about David is that one thing he never did is David never worshipped idols. Is that David loved God with all of his heart. And he made lots of mistakes, but when he, when he sinned, when he made those mistakes, he confessed it and he came back to God and he continued to, to worship God. He was, he was a man after God's own heart. And God was so pleased with David that he, he made David, David a promise. And again, these promises are being written down by the Spirit of Christ who's, who's working through the prophets, who, who's working through Moses and working through Samuel and working through, through others as well. And he made this promise to David and saying, okay, you, you remember that? You remember the, the, the man who's going to come, who's going to be the champion, who's going to defeat God's enemies? Okay, that guy is going to be one of your descendants that one day there's going to be somebody that's one of your descendants, one of your sons, 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 so on, um, who's, who's going to be a king. And he's going to rule in God's kingdom over, over God's people. So, so far we know he's going to be a champion, going to defeat God's enemies, and he's going to be an eternal king who's going to reign forever over, over God's people. And so, you know, after that, David's, David's son and David's son's son, they, they really botched it, and, and God's people in general, they continued to be like Adam and Eve and just disobey and to sin. And, and eventually, God, he disciplined his people. And they were, they were basically um, kidnapped. They were abducted from their, their homes, and their homes were destroyed and, 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 and burned, and they were, they were taken away from their homes to a, a foreign land, to, to Babylon, where, where they were made to be, to be slaves. And at this point, I mean, it seems like, I mean, man, it seems like the whole plan of salvation has been a failure. You know, either this guy never came, the, the Savior never came, or, you know, maybe he, he came, but he wasn't good enough, or he failed, or, or whatever. But, but then in Isaiah, in Isaiah 53, so, so Genesis 3, we see the champion, the warrior, Samuel, Second uh, Samuel 7, we see the, the promise he'll be a king. And then in Isaiah 53, the, the Spirit of Christ, through the prophet Isaiah, he says something that seems kind of strange. Um, so champion, king, we've got in our minds this, this big, strong guy who, you know, looks really tough and, and is always, he never, never cries and he never, he always knows what to do and just somebody who, it seems like he's, he's not going to have to suffer. But in Isaiah 53, the Spirit of Christ starts saying that this person, this man who's coming, not only will he be a champion, not only will he be a king, he'll also be a sacrifice. That he will give himself as the sacrifice for our sins. That he's going to be killed. That he's going to be whipped. And that it's by him suffering and him going through pain that we'll be able to be healed. And he'll take our sins on, on top of him to forgive us. And so fast forward a few hundred years after that, and um, so at this point, the, the Jewish people, God's people, they're under the control of the Roman Empire. And, um, and it's not looking good. 
I mean, the Roman Empire is the most powerful empire in the history of the world. I mean, who who is who could possibly come to to defeat God's enemies and to to rule his people? And so so there's this this guy who who comes um, named named John the Baptist. And and in John one, this is the Gospel of John chapter one. So John the Baptist, he's he's this big tough guy, you know he. Uh, he never cuts his hair. He lives in the deserts. He like eats bugs and stuff. And he's this big kind of tough, scruffy guy. And and he's a he's a preacher. He's a prophet. And he starts he starts preaching and teaching and telling people to repent. And, and everybody just flocks around to see him. They say, "Wow, we finally have a prophet." And and people are confessing their sin. They're getting baptized. And so people naturally this is the first time they've had a, a prophet, a powerful prophet like this in hundreds of years. And so what are the people going to think? They're naturally going to think, hey, maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the king. Maybe this is the champion. Maybe this is the, the, the sacrifice. We don't know what that means, but maybe maybe that's who it is. And, and so they come to John, they ask him. And they say, hey, are you, are you, you know, are you the guy who crushes the snake's head, you know, rule, and is that you? And, and what does John say? John says, that he says, it's not me, but there's a guy who's over there, there's a guy over there, and he basically says, I'm not worried, or I'm not worthy to untie that guy's shoelaces. Like, I'm not worthy to carry that guy's jockstrap. Like, he's the one that you're looking for. You know, he's, he's the one that you're looking for. Go and follow him. And... And that guy, as we know, is, is Jesus. And so this is the story, the story of, of, the, of the Savior being predicted, and then him being predicted to be a champion, a king, and a, and a sacrifice. And, and then finally, it coming from a very unexpected source. And it says at the end of this passage, in verse, um, in verse 12, it says that these are things that angels long to look into. These are the things that angels are on the edge of their seat, Hoping, I remember, I mean, if you've ever read a really good book or watched a really good movie, you know, I remember when I read, when I read Harry Potter and, you know, witchcraft is bad, but, you know, I, I enjoy reading Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I remember Harry Potter, the, when the last book came out, you know, we, we waited and then, and all of a sudden there's all these plot lines and then there's this, you finally get the book and it's like this thick and, and I mean, and I just devoured it. You know, like, like a lot of other people I know, too, just read it through. I mean, just stayed up all night, just, just reading and reading and reading, and just thinking, like, I was on the edge of my seat. Like, man, I mean, is, is like, what's going to happen to this character? You know, what's the deal with these horcruxes? Like, oh, oh my gosh. And, and um, I just d- devoured it. And so what, what this is saying is that the story that you and I are a part of, this is the story that the angels... When they they're they're waiting for that last volume, you know they they've seen they, they've seen the the champion part they've seen the king part they've seen the sac- Jesus has even come, and it's everything's it, the, the last chapter hasn't been written yet but everything's everything's set up and they're just on the edge of their seats, waiting to see when is Jesus going to come back, you know how, what's going to happen with this church how's the Holy Spirit going to work, this is the story that you and I are a part of, that's that that's that's the story that just has angels riveted. Right. And so I, I want to, as we kind of move to, to close, um, 
I just want to ask the question. So, so this er, earlier, um, Peter was saying he. It's, it's interesting. He wasn't even saying like, "Hey, you guys are saved, so y'all better, y'all better have joy." He wasn't saying, "Okay, y'all better rejoice." Like, you, I want to see some rejoicing. No, he was saying like he was observing that these people who were going through a lot of really hard things, he was observing that, hey, you guys are really sad. You guys are grieved by a lot of trials. But at the same time, you're also rejoicing with inexpressible and glorious joy. He's saying this is like, like that's what you're doing. And so for, for, for us, I mean, this is so what, what I think, and, and I mean, what I would ask you to think about too is are, like, Am I and are we experiencing that joy? You know, that, and, and you look at what people went through in the early church and what people are going through around the world, you know, people being imprisoned, people being executed. And, and, and for, for us, I don't want to minimize it. I mean, being stuck in our homes, you know, meeting under a tent, uh, all, all the stuff like this is, this is inconvenient and it's, and it's tough. But, you know, but what this is saying to me is that if the coronavirus has taken away my joy. If if the fact that my kids are, I'm struggling to potty train my kids, is taking away my joy. If like uncertainty about the school situation or uncertainty about work or, or if that's taken away my joy, what why is that? If, if I'm not experiencing, is it's I mean, well, it's natural to be grieved. It's not. It's I'm, nobody's saying like, hey, this should just hit you and bounce off this should be no big deal no this is hard stuff um but am i experiencing are we experiencing the joy that comes from the hope we have in our in our salvation and and if not and i know very often I, i'm not and if 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 you listening today are, are not experiencing that joy i would just i think it's possible and i encourage you to consider this Maybe it's because you're telling yourself the wrong story. If you're not experiencing the joy, that inexpressible and glorious joy and the hope of your salvation, maybe it's because you're not, maybe it's because you're telling yourself the wrong story. And, and we as, as human beings, this is something that, that um, a, a very, something that all human beings do that's, that's very special about humans being made in the image of God is we're always telling ourselves a story. We're always interpreting the things that happen to us, the good things and the bad things that happen to us, into a narrative, right? And, and we see ourselves, and, and this kind of narrative defines what life is like, you know, who, who are we, and it defines how are we going to, to think and feel and act. Well, what, what are some of the, the, the stories, what are some of the narratives that we might be telling ourselves? Um, what are some of the narratives that people tell us? Well, I think some people tell themselves and again, I, sometimes I find myself telling myself all, all three of these that I'm going to mention. Um, sometimes we tell ourselves the story that we are the overcomer, right? You know, like, everybody doubted me. Everybody said I couldn't do it. You know, nobody gave me anything. And, you know, I, by hard work and my own blood, sweat, and tears, I'm making it, right? I'm, I'm the overcomer. Um, you know, sometimes we tell ourselves the, the, the story of the victim. You know, all these things that people have done to me, these things people have said to me, you know, that, that have hurt me, that, you know, maybe even experienced some, some very, very serious abuse in, 
and and relationships or, or at school or, or in my work environment or whatever um, sometimes we're telling ourselves the story of of the victim and um, hey Ruby this is Ruby um, and if we tell ourselves the story of the victim uh, yeah we, we tend to to pity ourselves but sometimes we're telling ourselves the story of the victim and sometimes we're telling ourselves the, sto the, the story that we are a failure. Um, so sometimes we tell ourselves the story of the overcomer, of the victim, uh, and, and, of, and that we're a failure. You know, I had all these opportunities. Um, I, everything was given to me, and I blew it. Right? I'm a failure. Um, and, and again, these stories that we're telling ourselves, they affect the way we think. They affect the way we act. And they also affect the way we feel. And I think if, if you, and again, all, all these stories are stories that I find myself telling myself. Um, and, you know, I'd love at some other time to be able to share those stories with, with you guys and love to hear your stories where you've been a, a victim or where you've overcome challenges or where you've, you've even failed. Um, but I think Peter, I think what Peter would say to us, if that's the story that we're telling ourselves and if we're not experiencing the joy that we have, that we can have in our salvation, I think what Peter would say is that we need to stop being so self-focused. That we need to stop thinking about ourselves so much and to zoom out and stop just thinking about my life and all the things that have happened to me, to zoom out and to think about God's story. Because in God's story, in God's story, yeah, sure, I've overcome a lot of things, but I'm not an overcomer. Okay, I, that doesn't define my identity. In God's story, I might have been abused, but I'm not a victim. I might have been victimized, but that's not who I am. I'm not, my identity is not a victim. In God's story, I might have failed a lot. I have failed a lot, but I'm not a failure. Well, who am I in God's story? In God's story, I'm a beloved, chosen child of God who has been saved, is being saved, and one day will be saved. And again, like I, like I was saying, all of these things... Like, the stories that we tell ourselves, they affect the way we think, the way we feel, and ultimately the way we act. So, so if, you're, if you're telling yourself that you're an overcomer, you're probably going to struggle with pride. You're probably going to be very driven. You're going to have high standards for yourself and others, and you're but you're probably at times going to be prideful. Um, if you're telling yourself the story of the victim, well, you're very likely going to kind of vacillate between... Um, feeling really helpless, and then also feeling really angry at the people that have that have abused you. If you're telling yourself the story of well, I'm the failure, you're probably going to experience a lot of self-pity. But if you're telling yourself the story, the true story, the real story, that's not just a story that we made up, but it's the it's the actual truth of what's happening in the universe right now. What are we going to experience? We're going to experience inexpressible and glorious joy, even when we're when we're grieving. So that's what I would just ask you guys to think about today. What stories are you telling yourself? How is that making you think? How is that making you feel? How is that making you act? And how can you remind yourself of the real story, of the champion, the king, and the sacrifice who rose from the dead, who gave himself for us, so that we can be saved, can be continually saved, 
and that one day we can be saved completely and be with him forever.